Fast Checkout by Evan W. Gertis. The supermarket sits two blocks from my neighborhood, looming like a corporate castle over every day's traffic. Like most buildings, it means something different to everybody. A child delights in the store's wide aisles and spacious bottom shelves that are perfect for hide-and-seek. For adults, shopping for the week's meals is a chance to relieve the stresses of the workday by bitching about them to the brain-dead cashier. I began my part-time job a couple weeks into the haziest August I have ever lived through. I was neither a child nor an adult, so the supermarket to me came to mean something entirely different. For me, the supermarket is hell. I drove to hell every afternoon in a 13-year-old silver car. It wasn't a piece of shit, though that was my favorite nickname for it. I was 16 the day it was gifted to me. With the freedom of the car came the prison bars of a part-time job. A high school junior is awarded the privilege of starting at the bottom of the food chain. Grocery sacking is exactly as mind-numbingly simple work as it sounds. Take item, place in bag, repeat. The difficulty comes with the customer. Always make sure to ask, paper or plastic, and God save you if someone's frozen items ended up in the same bag as their bread. It doesn't help that you're trying to remain faithful to their particularities while simultaneously listening to the tale of woe they forgot they already told last week. The only other faces I'd see all afternoon were the assistant manager, the real manager could never be bothered, and the cashier. The first was a belt-busting bearded man who knew less about running things than he thought. The latter was often the guy only a few years older than me, who was either socially awkward or gay, because he never stopped giving me these looks, wide eyes and toothy grin looking like Jack Nicholson. Or, some days, it was a guy like Jake Waller. I already knew three other Jakes at school, so befriending another one promised only to hinder my sanity. But Jake was the only co-worker of mine who didn't act like he would just as soon shoot me as wave at me. I had no choice but to let him take me under his wing. Preston, he would say, when you get to be my age and you've been at this store for so long, you come to learn certain things about yourself. That's the kind of guy Jake was. He possessed an ease and charisma surpassing that of anyone he used it on. He would lean his broad shoulders against his register, adjusting his glasses like a college professor, and give an unironic speech about life despite being no more than 18 himself. I didn't mind playing the part of the protege. It became habit for me to clock in, march straight to Jake's register, and never leave until my shift was over. I even started getting burgers with him after work. Our late night dining would consist of Jake asking a meaningless question like, Preston, do you have Snapchat? No, I would reply, and Jake would nod in satisfaction. Good for you, he would say, as he proceeded to check the notifications on his own phone. I would roll my eyes and suck down the rest of my strawberry milkshake. Jake was easygoing, but a simple glance at him would not have revealed this. He stood six feet tall, his face covered by a patchy brown beard and his arms the size of tree trunks. I theorized that he and some of my other co-workers participated in their own little fight club after hours, and Jake was Brad Pitt. This had to be why two months into the job, I graduated from being the new guy to the rank of that one guy. Other part-time employees started bothering to extend me nods of acknowledgement when they saw Jake was willing to do so. I guess that made me Edward Norton. I liked Julie the best out of my other co-workers, though to offer a moment of transparency, I decided this before we were introduced. She was cute in that laugh-wrinkles-her-nose kind of way, short and plump with her hair pulled back in a bun. I might have considered asking her out, but based on the way the other guys talked to and about her, I was far from the first to do so. If the moment ever came, she would choose Jake in a heartbeat. The two of them had the kind of easy chemistry that made one wonder why they hadn't decided to strip each other down and do nature's dance. The other frequenter of Jake's heir was a guy my age who found himself in the unfortunate position of nighttime janitor. 
Reese belonged in a different century. You could smell the weed he had smoked in his car before clocking in. He patrolled the store in a baseball cap with a mop and bucket, calling customers man, regardless of their gender, and eating food from the bakery's free sample baskets. My theory is that Reese secretly enjoyed working at the supermarket more than the rest of us. After all, he had it made. He reeked of illegal drugs and the toilets and vomit he was paid to clean, so most people avoided him. As a bonus, the supermarket's loudspeakers constantly played one-hit wonders that everyone's mothers loved when they were our age. Songs like Love Me Tonight by Head East, Sister Golden Hair by America, and that one about Jeremiah the Bullfrog. A perfect match for Reese's persona. These three individuals became my only friends at the store, though perhaps that word projects too fond a light onto them. They were not friends I would have died for. In fact, I always felt a little out of place playing fourth wheel to their trio. It seemed as though there was a constant hidden meaning to every word they exchanged, some series of inside jokes I was not privy to. Julie would always be laughing in response to something Jake or Reese had said before cutting herself off just as I walked up to them. Not one of them, not even Jake, struck me as a genuine person. All three had secrets to keep. None of the employees at the supermarket were genuine people, and neither were 99% of the customers. The remaining 1% consisted of a single girl in particular. She apparated onto the storefront's bench one evening, just when I clocked out. A small, shriveled figure sitting with legs crossed and hands folded across her lap. Understand that my job broke me on a daily basis, even if you don't understand why. By the time I clocked out each night, I had only the strength and patience to drive home, shower, eat microwave leftovers, and collapse atop my bed sheets. Maybe offer some sort of assurance to my old man that the job was going well, even though my face clearly said it wasn't, and he kept choosing not to notice. That night, I reached into the darkest corner of myself and retrieved the energy to stay awake a little longer so I would not be forced to tear my eyes away from the girl. I sat down next to her, knowing there was no feasible excuse to do so. My keys already jingled in the palm of my hand. She reminded me of one of Reese's old songs in the best of ways. Her hair was straight and black. Her eyes were such a dark brown they nearly matched her hair. An entire galaxy of stars shone in those eyes, and they were instantly my favorite thing about her. Her lips were the purple of blackberry juice, so in a way I felt I could taste them without having to touch them. Her skin was the palest white I'd ever seen, save for her face, which was caked in brown makeup. She was unnaturally thin, despite her white teeth and straight posture, suggesting perfect health. At least, I've heard those things are signs of perfect health. She was all at once the most beautiful and tragic thing I'd ever seen, and entirely genuine. The girl glanced back at me once, offering a smile so fragile her hopelessness was breaking through. I kept my own face as devoid of emotion as possible, though my insides were in a turmoil. I'm Preston. I immediately regretted my outburst. Her eyes blinked as my croaking voice brought her out of her serene galaxy. She barely registered my words. I'm sorry? <clears throat> um, I'm Preston. She allowed a false brightness to envelope her face. I'm Rebecca. I repeated the name in my head many times. It was common, of course, but suited her so perfectly it sounded unique. The name reached every crevice of my mind. I was too nervous to say anything more to her that night, so I stood up, nodded, and walked to my car. Rebecca was back the next night, so I sat beside her on the bench once more. She did not glance at me, so I said nothing. Every once in a while, I would look at her, trying to be inconspicuous. The image I observed never changed. She always sat with her legs crossed, hands empty, and starry eyes gazing at the sky, as if to contemplate existence itself. I regarded her in this manner for the better part of two weeks. Taking a short ten-minute break on the bench before driving home became the highlight of my day. 
Her company became soothing in an unexplainable way. I felt close to her despite never having spoken a word, save for my name. I realized how powerfully she affected me when I caught myself wanting to eat a few of the blackberries a customer was buying. I didn't even like blackberries. You might be thinking at this point that she was a prostitute or something. That's not it. I can't say I ever asked her, but I just know that's not it. She was my age and never wore a prostitute's kind of clothes. She looked like someone who just needed a place to sit and be away from everything in her life. I know the feeling. On a day when my shift ended early, I ate dinner across the street and returned to the bench to wait for Rebecca. I sensed her small presence beside me just when I was about to give up. My right leg began to bounce up and down. Why did you start sitting here? Already it was more words than I had ever said to her. I expected her to be offended by the question, but she seemed to take it in stride, acting as if I might be the one who was somehow offended. Does it bother you? I considered. On the one hand, the last thing I needed was another crush, because I already had one on a classmate at school, and another one, if it was worth counting, on Julie. But who was I kidding? A guy can't quite help himself when he finds a girl as pretty as I found Rebecca. No, not at all. Just thought I'd ask. Okay, why did you start sitting here? I shifted. The bench's surface was impossibly hard. I asked you first. Rebecca nodded. True, but I can't help but think my question has more value than yours. I'm just some person. I could have any reason to sit here. You work here, and you're already off for the night, so what are you hanging around for? She was right, and didn't need me to say so to confirm it. That didn't make the way she spoke any less unique, though, so I decided to avoid the question with another one of my own. Do you always talk to people like this? Rebecca offered a laugh laced in cynicism. I've got a lot of cliche teenage problems, guy, but shyness isn't one of them. I figured that was the most I would get out of her for the night. Even if she was open to more conversation, perhaps even to talk about some of those cliche teenage problems, I could only take so much before the nervousness that had manifested in the bouncing of my leg would increase to insurmountable levels. Good night, Rebecca. Good night, Preston. I remembered feeling happy as I walked away, because up until that point I would have doubted she even remembered my name. The next night, Rebecca did not show. I waited on the bench half an hour after my shifts ended for a whole week, and never saw her. I realized I must have ruined whatever joy she gained from sitting on the bench, and cursed myself. One evening almost five months into the job, the assistant manager's mother-in-law called and announced that his wife's water broke. The bumbling idiot left Jake in charge and shuffled out the store's sliding doors wearing a comical, panicked expression. Jake turned off the lights and locked the doors when the time came to lock up. The two of us retreated to the back room with Julie and Reese. The storage quarters would not be occupied until the early hours of the morning when the night shift stalkers arrived. In the meantime, we four sat in a circle and Reese began to show off his pipe. Won't someone smell this in the morning? I asked. That's why the back door's open, man, Reese said in a duh tone of voice. He jerked his thumb back at a stack of crates behind him. I peered beyond the crates to see the store's back door was indeed cracked open, nothing lying beyond except an alleyway with a dumpster. Now then, if everyone's settled, we can get down to business, Reese grinned in anticipation. I declined to take a hit because I had heard the effects of a first-time high were impossible to hide, and I would be going home soon. Nobody pressured me or told me I was a wimp. I did partake in the tasting of the alcohol supply. Not enough to get really buzzed because I had to drive, but enough to feel it a little bit because I didn't have to drive far. After all, Jake said, how are we supposed to know what kind of beers we like well enough to buy if we never taste them? I thought that was commendable logic. I tried five different kinds of beer that night, taking only a small sip of each. 
Each sip had the same effect on me. I began to figure out that the only reason people drink is because the disgusting aftertaste reminds them that they are alive when nothing else will. A night of beer drinking and classic rock playing on the store speakers might sound like a good time, and maybe it was, but it was not enough to justify the work, not to mention the minimum wage paychecks. In spite of Jake's positive influence, the six-month anniversary of my first day found me entertaining the idea of being struck by a car in the parking lot before I could clock in again. Afternoons passed like decades. I grew to loathe every day of the week, save for Sunday, when I told the manager I went to church. Monday through Saturday was fair game. Sometimes I worked four-hour shifts four times a week, sometimes five-hour or six-hour shifts three times a week. I had worked at the supermarket so long I knew the face of every regular customer and didn't even have to ask who wanted paper or plastic anymore. What's more, I learned that all this wear and tear showed on my face. Once, while I bagged groceries for a mom who looked like she had just come from the gym and picked up her child from school on the way, the child in question looked up at me and whispered, Are you happy working here? I stood there in a kind of brief shock. Here was a little girl who knew the true answer to the question she asked. I could see that much in her eyes. She had only asked it in the first place because she wanted to know what I would say. I didn't lie to her. On a day when business moved slow, I joined Jake at his register. He began to recall an experience during his first month on the job when a man had attempted to steal a 12-pack. The manager himself had sprung from his office and personally subdued the thief with a football tackle. Elusive though he was, the manager was no one you wanted to risk upsetting. Normally the tale would have entertained me, but it was in this moment that something which required my full attention walked through the main doors. Once every few weeks, I would see a classmate of mine come in the store. At first, I tried avoiding them. The Preston who showed up to high school was different than the Preston working at the supermarket. Jake and Reese were different than the guys I ate lunch with. I needed to be alert, ready to make a vulgar quip or decline an invitation to smoke pot, while still appearing as though I would be glad to participate the next time. At school, I was part of the crowd where all you had to know to be welcomed was obscure science fiction trivia. While I enjoyed hanging out with Jake and Reese, there came a time when I no longer wanted to switch personalities. A classmate, even if I barely knew them, was a reminder of a place where I wasn't in the robotic, humdrum position of listening to customers complain and assistant managers bark orders. For this reason, I gravitated toward Terry. No time to check and see if Jake's grand bedtime story was complete. We exchanged haze, and she began to go on about her mom wanting some Mexican brand of candy that the store supposedly carried. I pretended to have a clue as to where these foreign sweets might be shelved, because helping a customer find a product was the only passable excuse for not remaining at your station. Terry didn't seem to look any harder than I did. She ran her mouth about the exceptional number of mishaps she had experienced since we last talked, three hours before, in physics class. I let her get everything off her chest. She had a compulsive need to share every detail of her day, but it was cute enough to be endearing. A quarter of an hour of treasure hunting yielded us nothing. I got the sense Terry had lost interest in her original goal by then, anyway. She gathered a pack of soda and bag of chips and requested I carry them for her by holding them out. I complied because her eyes shone bright whenever she wanted something from me. I didn't want to bring Terry to Jake's register, but she led the way and I didn't have much choice. Jake gave me one of those looks as we approached. I was sure he had already seen the two of us interact, and I was worried he might try to drop some sort of innuendo into the pleasantries a cashier is required to exchange with his customer. He didn't. Preston, be straight with me. That your girl? I watched Terry leave. 
grocery sack strung over one wrist, and large sunglasses perched on her nose as I answered Jake. Nah, that's not my girl. She's somebody else's girl? I squinted at him, grinning so he wouldn't think I was trying to read him. Not as far as I know. Jake went back to counting his registered bills. Terry joined Jake and me at Dry Burger a week later. I never found out just how Jake managed to track her down. I'm sure that once he did, it didn't take much to convince Terry to let him take her out. Jake had the verbal charm to make getting a burger sound like drinking aged wine at a fancy restaurant. I tried to be disappointed Terry was dating my friend instead of me, but I wasn't. I would have received a harder blow if I had ever tried to ask her out myself. There was a time I thought I could get by on my wit, but as it turns out, people usually perceive sarcasm as a kind of general hatred. Jake may not have been any more handsome than I was, but damned if he wasn't more likable. As it happened, I was able to spend more time with Terry by tagging along than if I hadn't. Jake took off a good half hour before usual when it was just the two of us eating. I don't even remember the reason. I was too focused on the state of Terry's food. She wasn't finished yet, which meant she would be staying behind, which in turn would allow me to take over where Jake left off. Are you alright? She asked this a few minutes after Jake drove past our booth's window. Yeah, I'm fine. Why? Terry shrugged. I don't know. You seem quiet today. I was just thinking she seemed quiet today. Perhaps there was a correlation. Ready for physics tomorrow? We had a test scheduled. I appreciated physics tests. They gave me an excuse to offer to tutor her. I don't know. The vibrating of her cell phone interrupted her. She let out a sigh as she replied to whoever may have texted her. Okay over there? I asked. She didn't look up, still typing away. Drama, I'm sure you know. I did not know. Probably not. I'm not exactly what you'd call in the gossip circle. Terry returned her phone to her jacket pocket and went out of her way to make eye contact. Yeah, but I just get the feeling, you know, that everybody talks about me behind my back. Maybe she was aware of something I was not, but I really never heard anyone talk about her. That night, she looked like she needed to discuss something beyond letting off steam about her mom, so I listened. It's just, I used to party real hard, like casually did cocaine kind of hard. I did some stuff I shouldn't have, and it was a while ago, but I feel like... Like you're still the subject of locker room talk, I tried. Terry nodded. Yeah. I nodded back. Yeah. A younger Preston would have been shocked to hear the phrase casually did cocaine from a high school kid, but I was older then. The concept of partying was no longer lost on me. Whether it was all in good fun like Reese, or resulted in bad consequences, which I guessed was the category Terry fell into, some crazy shit existed in suburbia USA. Ten months into the job, I was prepared to march right up to the assistant manager and request a resignation form. I was held back by the looming presence of my old man, who would be pissed no matter what reason I gave, and by loyalty to Jake, who himself would be forced to quit soon due to college. Graduation is coming up fast, he kept saying. Then I'll be out of here. You know, Preston, when you get to be my age, you just realize that education is more important. It's time to retire and start learning how to work a real job. I knew Jake well enough by now that I could make an honest assessment of him, and I didn't think he was cut out for what he thought of as a real job. He was the only one of us who belonged in the supermarket, even if he claimed he hated the place. Maybe he did hate the place, but it didn't change the fact that he was perfectly wired for the position. It was obvious from the get-go that Jake was great with people, because I've never been a people person, but he charmed me instantly. But it was not just me he charmed, nor was it just Terry, Julie, and Reese. It was everyone. One day, a distraught college-age girl had come to Jake's station with tears rimming her eyes. She looked like she had been in bed all day. 
She handed Jake money to buy a box of chocolates, singing You Give Love a Bad Name to herself all the while. I knew nothing about periods, but I was sure that was what this was. I don't know why I felt so sure. I guess I'm just bad at reading people. Young and embarrassed, I ducked my head and hoped my cheeks weren't turning every shade of red. Jake gave the girl back her change and made eye contact. His brows turned upward in an empathetic manner. Boy trouble? He phrased it like a question, but spoke it like a fact. The girl bit her bottom lip and affirmed his guess with a nod, as if Jake's acknowledgement of her troubles was all she needed to feel relief. I stared at Jake in amazement, wondering how he could read and identify a person's heartbreak so fast. There I was, thinking she was just going through her cycle. I once considered asking Jake why he never tried to get a girl's number while he was on the clock. I figured his easygoing persona was either bullshit, or he legitimately wanted to be a decent person without any strings attached. Either way, he refrained from ever flirting with recently made single college girls. Terry was the first girl I ever saw Jake use his powers on. Strong as they were, he lost his grip on her a few months after they started dating. On a cold night, I clocked out after a long shift and accompanied Reese out the back door of the store to his car. After bidding him goodnight with a customary flip of the bird and assuring him I would hop into his car for a smoke sometime soon, I wouldn't. I walked toward my own car. I preferred to park in the back of the lot, away from everyone else. I didn't mind the walk, and it guaranteed no one would ever come near my car unless it was the holidays and there were no other spaces available. Jake's truck was parked a few spaces away from mine. His shift ended a half hour before mine that night, so I had expected him to be long gone. He sat inside the truck with the engine off and his uniform still on. In the passenger seat was Terry, wearing a contentious expression I had never seen. Her lips were going a mile a minute, hands waving about theatrically. Jake looked exhausted, and every few seconds he would interrupt her ranting to offer a comeback, which she rejected without effort. I couldn't hear their words, but it was the first time I had ever seen Jake argue with someone, and it shocked me. My friend wasn't supposed to ever experience any social difficulties. It was not in his nature. Suddenly the night was bleak, and I did not want to drive home. I decided to walk around the perimeter of the parking lot for fresh air. When I reached the storefront, I came to such a hard stop my shoes squeaked against the concrete. Rebecca sat on the bench. Her hair was dyed an unnatural golden blonde. I thought it was pointless to change her looks when she was already so beautiful, but I also imagined how jaw-dropping it would be to glimpse her with this new hair in the full light of the summer sun. She may not have looked the same, but it was a great relief to see her after so many months of wondering what had become of her. I dropped down next to her with a thud. We spoke little at first, as it had always been in the past. Meaningless conversation was never necessary with her. Finally, she turned to look at me. I guess you're wondering where I've been. Little bit, yeah. She nodded. So am I. A simple question rose from her lips next. Preston, how do you feel about me? This was as blunt as everything she had ever said to me. Her voice was sweet and high, like a pop star's. I wished to hear it every day for the rest of my miserable life, in any capacity. The smile she always forced was gone for a moment. Her eyes were on mine, reading them so she could decide how truthful my answer would be. I wanted to sound as honest as possible, and feared I would not. I think you're the most beautiful person I'll ever meet. Rebecca smiled. For a brief moment, every hint of tragedy left her body. She nodded in such a way that suggested she had known all along, and only wanted to hear me say it for the sake of having something to hold on to. The next day, when Jake clocked in and arrived at his station, he looked none the worse for wear. He did not mention Terry or look as if their breakup had affected him in any negative way. 
Maybe he was relieved to be rid of her, or just hiding his distress. I decided we wouldn't talk about it. Business slowed early that afternoon. As the sun set and I went on my break, the crowd thinned out before my eyes. By the time I chugged a Coke and stopped by the restroom, there was only a handful of shoppers left, all strewn about the store like pieces on a game board. Jake stood at his station, looking for all the world like he had not moved an inch since I had. His shoulders slouched, but somehow retained every bit of confidence he always possessed. A customer approached the station. Though my break was over, I was in no hurry to return to work. I walked slow, telling myself I would return to Jake's station after this customer left. The man, who was buying nothing but a case of beer, looked to have a few drinks in him already. No surprise. The supermarket set in the same shopping center as a knockoff Irish pub. The pub was frequented by the same people who saw fit to come into the store two minutes before it closed and force us to wait for them to buy yogurt before we could clock out. The drunk was tall and heavy set and dressed in a plain gray sweater. He spoke with a deep voice and was armed with a silver-handled revolver, which he pointed at Jake before I knew what was happening. Cash! Out of the register! Now! Jake was known for being one of the best cashiers in the entire supermarket. Bringing your groceries to his station would guarantee you a fast checkout. That night, with the empty black eye of a gun staring him down, he moved slower than I had ever seen him before. He was afraid. The gunman kept looking around, watching the security cameras at either end of the vacant customer service desk. By this time, I had hidden myself behind the floral department and was watching the goings-on by peering with one eye between a couple of red roses. Let's go! Jake opened up his register. He grabbed at the money, mixing bills with coins and shoving them all into the gunman's open bag. A sound to my right made me jump. It was Julie, who was coming from the deli. I waved her back, but she didn't know what was happening, only that I was behaving strange. She gasped when the cash registers came into view. I turned back to watch once more. The gunman jerked the last of the money roughly from Jake's fingers, and then, with a slight look around, shot him through and through. A scream resounded from somewhere in the store, probably some soccer mom shocked out of trying to decide which flavor of Gatorade to buy. The manager showed his face to me for the first time as he came bursting from his office. It was a chiseled face covered in gray whiskers. His fists were clenched, ready for action, but the gunman had staggered out of the store, hopped into his car, and driven off, or perhaps been driven off by someone else. Jake lay on the tile floor with his limbs sprawled out. The blood from his wound was almost invisible as it seeped through the black of his uniform shirt. Julie cried tears of fright, and I could hear Reese's footsteps somewhere close by, accompanied by, holy fuck, over and over. Jake's eyes were still open, colored black, and staring out into nothingness. I was reminded of a time when the two of us found a way to get onto the roof of the store, and spent the hour after our shifts watching the sunset. Jake's eyes had been black then too, but a different kind of black. The kind that had so much life in them, they reflected the light of the sun, and the parking lot's lampposts, and the restaurants across the street. It's beautiful, he had declared, staring out into suburban America. I disagreed, but I never said so. Now the life in Jake's eyes was gone. The gunman came five hours into Jake's shift, which means Jake was worth about $36 when he died. I wondered if the paycheck would be given to his family, or if the store would just keep it for themselves. I didn't ask about it when I turned in my two weeks' notice the next afternoon. The end.